Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Pleasure Priority Podcast with me, Amber Taylor. This is the podcast all about how you can have the audacity to put yourself and your pleasure first, which ultimately shapes a life perfect for you. We discuss friends and family, career and money, oppression, healing, and mental health, current events, and historical ones too. Basically, all things life and pleasure and how you can create more of it authentically. I'm your host, Amber Taylor, and it's my pleasure to talk to you every week. Let's tune in. Hey, hey, friends, we are back again, and I have a very special guest with us today who you've actually heard from before on the podcast, but you know, got to bring her back because she's just so amazing. And I am so happy to bring on Haley Thomas of One Year From Now again to the podcast. We have an amazing conversation planned for you. Well, at least what we think will be amazing. Um, And just before we get started with that, Haley, do you want to tell the people a little bit more about yourself? I do. Hello, everyone. My name is Haley. I'm a business strategist and entrepreneurship coach. Um, As Amber said, my business is called One Year From Now, and I specialize in helping entrepreneurs create or double their their profit and their impact in 12 months or less. So I am all about um, helping people kind of reclaim their leadership, to reorganize their businesses, to create like a life they actually want to enjoy. Um, as an entrepreneur. So um, Amber is my my Illinois peer, coach, friend, sister girl. Um, and every time I see any content about um, pleasure or the conversation we're going to have today around eroticism or romanticism, all those things, I'm like, where's Amber? We need to, we need to talk. <laughs> Of course, because we love to talk. Um, (laughs) And as Haley mentioned, this conversation is around eroticism today. And actually, we listened to, well, Haley sent me this YouTube. It's called The Importance of Eroticism in Hard Times by Esther Perel. And um, we both listened to this, this audio and had a bunch of thoughts about it and wanted to bring our own two cents to the table. So I wanted to reference that. It will also be in the show notes. um, If you guys would like to listen to the original conversation that this kind of spurred from, but uh, yeah, let's take it away. Yeah. (laughs) I I wanted to start with a definition. Um, just so we are kind of on the same page, but Esther Perel looks at eroticism very similar to the way that I look at pleasure, and she she considers it a life force, um, the energy that infuses us with aliveness, spontaneity, curiosity, etc., and it lives side by side with the part of us that um, is looking for security, safety, and familiarity. So it is way more than sex or sexual pleasure, sexual desires, but everything that brings us energy, joy, movement, creativity, and aliveness. Yeah. 
I loved the way, I mean, first Esther Perel is like this very famous psychotherapist and she has all this great research and learning and understanding about relationships and relational dynamics and particularly um, pleasure and desire along with kind of long-term relationships and how those two things go together and not just romantic relationships, but friendships. Like how do those two things or, or family dynamic friendships. So she's like the old goat and she's been doing this for like 25 years. Right. So she's like the old goat of this topic. But um, I love this definition in particular, because I think it's something that we as coaches are always trying to get our hands on and always trying to create more of either directly or indirectly for our clients, a sense of like aliveness and being in your life and and experiencing it with joy and delight and curiosity and all these things and I love that she put the word of uh, eroticism uh-huh. the main word we're talking about but she put this kind of word over it uh, to kind of capture it I really appreciate that um I don't know that that umbrella I think yeah. you talk about it as pleasure I talk about it with my clients as a sense of adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think these are other places or places in our lives where this comes up naturally the same way that it does with like really good sex. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just have this, this overlap in, in how we choose to talk about it. But, um, one more quote that I wanted to pull in by, uh, Maria Barada was talking about like how self-care and eroticism, pleasure, adventure, how they all go together and go hand in hand, Um, but how it expands so much past self-care. But self-care is the armor we use to survive and thrive. So Mm -hmm. it takes it to that next level for me. It's not just this thing that we get to do when we have time or that we have to earn or that it has to look a certain way is actually required for our well-being. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had this analogy pop up into my head as we're talking about um, eroticism and self-care in this way. And I think so many people look at it as something that you push off to the side or something that you have to save for later, or something that like doesn't have importance in the moment. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, like I thought about sunscreen and how you like put it on your body to go out and enjoy the outdoors or be outside um, while still protecting yourself. And it's like just this invisible layer or, you know, hopefully it's invisible. Sunscreen. <laughs> Black girls is invisible. Um, It's it's this layer of protection that you arm yourself with, not because it's something that is like this luxury, but it's this necessity to keep going and keep moving in life, whether you're outside working or enjoying or whatever it is. It's something that equips you to, to not only survive, but thrive. Yeah. That's a great analogy. I I like the idea, like you're exactly right. We call them self-consideration protocols in my practices or in my my practice, my coaching practice. Um, But it's it's like what is necessary to protect the aliveness. It's Mm -hmm. like coding to protect the aliveness. So the the vision I had while you were talking was kind of how 
Um, I was just working on the electrical in my bathroom this uh, weekend, but all, <laughs> yeah, just doing it up. Um, but the the all the wires are covered in that plastic coating, and it's to protect all of that energy and all the current to keep it like going in the direction that you want it to go and not just like being dispersed all over. I didn't get shocked, praise Jesus. Um, but that's part of because it's got that coating on it. And you're right, the self consideration, the self-care protocols or the, the practices that we have, it's not for funsies. It's to protect the aliveness, to protect the energy. It's it's as a form of coding of, of safety, whether or not life is treating you well or not, or or you're experiencing this or that those things are the things that you do to protect yourself and protect that aliveness. Yeah. And, and in that way, we can start to look at it as not this thing that um, like you said, just for funsies or you do it when uh, everything is great. It's like, it's necessary when things suck. Uh, Like it's necessary when you are down in the dumps and in the pits of despair and life is lifing it is necessary to protect your aliveness so you can get back to a place where you are enjoying, you are thriving, you are romanticizing, and you are finding that joy in, in every aspect of life and creativity and safety and security and familiarity and all of it wrapping up in your own protection of pleasure. Yeah. So how I'm curious, Amber, for you, what are the, I guess, top of mind self-care or self-consideration things that are like a part of your practice today? Like with my brain and the way I work, uh, I don't like too much routine and getting into like the monotony of something. Mm -hmm. So Uh, something that, well, I guess, yeah, I do practice is connecting back with my body, but doing it in different ways. Like I've realized that I'm very sensory and even like, I can tell when my mood swings based on like my temperature um, Mm -hmm. and if I'm getting hot or cold and like what that actually means to me. So um, just taking intentional time to touch myself And like, I don't always mean in a sexual way, but like a foam roll of Mm -hmm. like actually putting pressure on areas that, um, you know, I, I sit behind a computer all day, but I also like walk my dog and work out and like our bodies do so much that we kind of take for granted. And then when I just make that time to really connect back and be like, oh, wow, that actually, like my shoulder actually has a kink in it. Like, let me, let me roll it out or let me move it around. Let me really feel into it. And when I just take that time to connect back to myself, like that's when I enter into a different level of aliveness and creativity. And it just opens up a new window for me. So that's one of, that's one of the things that I've been really into lately is just like self-touch. Yeah. I feel the exact same way um, with self-touch in particular. I think there's a, a tactileness because again, we sit in front of a computer. So much of our work happens up in our brains that I recognize that I'm touching a similar textured um, stuff more all, all, very often, right? So my desk is smooth, my keyboard is smooth, my computer is smooth, my mouse is smooth. Like it's 
all this like very plastic, hard, singularly textured things that I spend most of my time touching. And so um, taking time to touch, like literally I've got a fake plant behind me. You all can't know this on the podcast, but just like, oh, these leaves are, they're bumpy and kind of interestingly textured or like my, I, my hair is locked. And so like, I'll, you know, touch my locks and touching my skin. I'll rub my hands together just to create heat, like varying sensations. Um, and I, listen, I love self-pleasure solo sex as a, as a way of grounding, as a method for, like you said, preserving that aliveness because it is not impossible, but very challenging to experience pleasure and also terror at the same time. Very mm-hmm. fine line between the two of them for some people, which will not be kink shaming anybody, but <laughs> like it's, it's for the most part, those two things can't exist at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has to be like a sense of safety for you to experience pleasure. And so that experience solo sex is a great opportunity to be, like you said, building up aliveness, practicing eroticism, practicing self-touch and pleasure and all of those things. Um, and not in a like, Hey, I'm going to knock one out to get to orgasm kind of way, but just to enjoy myself, like just to connect myself, like not in a hurry, not, I may not even orgasm. It doesn't matter. Right. I'm just experiencing myself and experiencing that, that pleasure. Yes. And it's about like getting to this level of presence where we're yeah. just with ourselves and with our bodies and we're not trying to, oh, well, what, a, what about this? What about dinner? What about mm-hmm. what I have to do this week? What I have to get to so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. And like, like kids or pets mm-hmm. and like all the things. It's just like right here, right now, I'm taking care of myself in the ways that I need to. And I'm even just having a conversation with myself to figure out what those ways are and that level of communication and consistency in that communication is that um protective layer in our wiring it is that sunscreen it is that the things that we need to not just survive but to thrive yeah I think a lot of it comes back to as well as we're having this conversation about eroticism not just from sex, but eroticism as a way of being alive and intentionally practicing, you know, curiosity and delight and all those things is like this, any of the practices that you pick changes the way you relate to yourself. I think in a way that can be healing to those of us with non-secure attachment styles. Mm -hmm. So like, if you, if you have an anxious attachment style, and I'm talking about like relational theories, but an anxious attachment style or disorganized attachment style or, or an avoidant attachment style, it means that you have a non-secure way of relating to people who are supposed to take care of you mm-hmm. and having this conversation with self and connecting to self and being with self kind of helps you heal and reorganize like, oh, I can count on me to take care of me. And I have a need and I am responding to my need, like that starts to kind of fill in some of those gaps and heal those places where you have either been not sure or needed to take that to the extreme. And I only take care of me and no one else can support me in that. And I don't need anybody. Like it helps kind of heal some of that 
as well. So it's not, again, we're not talking about these things because they're fun and they're nice to have, but like, this is when we talk about like doing the work, like this can be a part of it. Yeah, definitely. And then um, something that else that was said in that, uh, in that training was an Audre Lorde quote. Um, mm -hmm. We tend to think of the erotic as an easy tantalizing sexual arousal, but I tend, she tends, to speak of the erotic as the deepest life force that moves us to living in a fundamental way. And then that life force is the antidote to death and mm. death in all forms, not just like, you know, physically dying, but death of your soul, death of joy, death of fun, death, like decay all around us. And like that it is a natural part of life, but how this side, this life force, this eroticism, this pleasure, this adventure, this aliveness is the antidote to that death. It helps balance us, especially in, you know, this post-COVID world and how so much changed. So there was so much death around us, like as an actual life and death, but as, as death of plans, death of relationships, death of friendships, death of, death of so much that we need this level of aliveness. We need this life force to even balance us out and help heal us, as you were just saying. I think, so during that workshop or that video, Esther was talking about this practice in practice for COVID, but also in all these periods in history where different groups of people are experiencing these like death in these major ways, right? So like um, after massive famines or after genocide or after massive wars or after the Spanish flu, like, or, and even during these really catastrophic, catastrophic, catastrophic events, people in small ways, practicing art, practicing creating, falling in love, making babies, living, mm -hmm not just for ourselves, but, but also for like humanity, right? Also as a, as a, not an anecdote and it doesn't make the catastrophic things go away, but a, a, a beacon of light almost in these moments yeah. where like, like thought of like a flower going through, growing through the concrete. Yeah. Right. Like it's a way of being a way of practicing a, a way of defiance of resistance to all the death that creates these little pockets of hope and pockets of safety and moments of, hey, I'm here and you're here and we don't know about anything else, but I'm here and you're here. And that's, mm -hmm. that's gonna be enough for right now. Mm -hmm. um, so it's also for us, but I think collectively as people groups, like it does so much to preserve our humanity. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it it does have that like ebb and flow between the individual and the collective because when um, artists, creative musicians, dancers, whatever, they're ultimately initially creating that art for themselves. Mm -hmm. However, when they share it, we're able to to get something out of it as well. Like me, I I cannot sing. But mm -hmm. when I see or hear somebody like 
blowing and it doesn't even have to be a professional. It'd be somebody like just like outside sharing their talent. Like I get chills. Like it, again, like I'm, I'm cold. Like it reminds me that I have life too. Like I have something in me to offer. I can share. And if this person is just like, you know, banging uh sticks on a um you know old paint can and drumming and it's like damn like that is amazing like it just reminds us of the like of our aliveness of our creativity of like how resilient that we actually are and it's like this this jolt of energy and um yeah this life force that helps us keep going at the individual level and at the collective like when we, like Michelle Obama said it, when we are standing in our own light, we give others the permission to sign. Yeah, I love that. I think of, um, there's a woman named Jing who is um, head of a company called Fly by Jing. She's a food entrepreneur. Um, and I read something she did in an interview and she was just saying that the ability to bring her culture to food, her culture to American food and American food spaces was mainly, um, you know, I made it for me, but you can have some too. Like Mm -hmm. I made it for me and you can have some too. And, you know, bringing her culture and the way that her families and ancestors had done food was almost like you said, it was for her. She was like, I don't see myself represented in this industry. I don't see the food of my cultures represented in this industry. So I'm gonna bring it. And, and we all get to benefit and, and enjoy that as well. And I, again, want to point out like every example that we've given, there is a, this isn't just, again, like fun thought work, but there's a physical response, I think, to the aliveness. The, like you said, when I hear somebody just absolutely killing it, singing it, like there's chills. My body has a physical response when I'm, you know, consuming food from another culture that is hot, cold, delicious, sour, spicy, tart, like my body's having an experience, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Involuntarily dance with Involuntarily. (laughs) Absolutely. Like I just, mm, 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 mm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, 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 right? Like it's so fun. Um, And it's, it's again, just, I guess to me speaks to the trueness of this, that we don't even have to be consciously thinking, oh, I would like to respond to this now, this aliveness. Like, no, our bodies are just responding to the experience that it's it's having. So yeah. How do you how do you find eroticism in hard times? How do you seek that adventure, that aliveness, especially when, you know, you may not really feel like it? Yeah. I think I've had this as a practice before I knew what a quote unquote practice was. You know what I mean? Like, I think I've had this as a way of being before I knew it was a thing. Um, but I, I, I am a like hopeless romantic, meaning I'm consistently romanticizing my entire experience before it was called being a main character. Like I was main charactering my entire life mm-hmm. in that I would, I love walking outside uh hot cold I love walking in the cold right and like experiencing like the the cold wind on my face and my nose is running now and my ears are a little stinging and I will do that just to experience a different bodily experience a different you know 
experience like that. I love to buy myself flowers. I have a favorite flower shop, shout out to Vera and Buck flower, Floral Studio in town because they come up with really funky bouquets of lots of different textures. Mm-hmm. And so I'll buy a bouquet for myself and between calls or between work, I'll stop and like look at the flowers, but like, like literally slide them in front of me. And that's all I'm looking at for a few minutes of like, oh, these leaves are nice and broad. And this one is weird and speckly. And they put like these, um, like a pepper bush, like a cutting from a pepper bush. There's miniature peppers on this, this thing. And that's weird. And that's interesting. So like filling my world with interesting textures, um, as regularly as I can to be able to stop and, and feed my senses, especially the ones that don't get a lot of play, mm-hmm. like smell, like sight. Again, when I'm working in front of two computer screens, most of the time, um, like my sense of touch feeding those and yeah, smell feeding those as regularly as I can, I think is a part of my practices of eroticism. Yeah. And I want to point out something like important that you just said that I don't want to go over the listener's head is because it's not just things that you do when you're feeling down, but habits that you have created over time that you can rely on to help you even when you are feeling down. So going regularly on walks, regularly to the flower shop, regularly interrupting your daily routines and patterns with joy, with Mm -hmm. different sensations, with um, just doing things to help you come back to a state of, I am here and I am human. And having those practices and like having them be a part of your regular routine is also what helps you like not go into the pits of despair, like not really go down as far as you potentially could, but help you stay more in that uh, window of tolerance, if you will, of that where, where it's okay to be. And like my highs aren't as high, my lows aren't as low, but I, I am able to thrive from here. Yeah. And I, I mentioned, we have kind of talked at this point about daily practices, but I also travel pretty regularly, mm-hmm. not necessarily because I need to go anywhere, but I, I need different locational, I don't even know if that's a word, but I need different locations. Like I mm-hmm. need to see people driving past me on the highway and my brain then just gets in its creative state. Like I said, I'm always romanticizing everything. So I wonder where they're going and where they're experiencing and coming up with stories about them and, um, you know, just being in different locations, watching the sun rise and set from a different set of windows than the two I'm always looking out of, like, that's a part of my practice too. And so sometimes it's just a day trip an hour North. Sometimes it's a whole, I'm flying to Miami and going snorkeling, but travel for me creates and maintains my sense of curiosity and imagination and um, aliveness as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know there's probably people like, oh, but well, I can't afford to travel or I can't do this or I can't do that. And there is always something that you can do. Like maybe you can't drop and buy a plane ticket and go to Miami to go snorkeling. What if you plan the trip? Like you don't have to put a date on it, but like romanticize the, ooh, I would love to 
fly on this day at this time in this in this class like maybe i'm going to treat myself to first class um i'd like this type of hotel that has this type of sheets or maybe it's an airbnb or maybe i'm um you know hanging with some local maybe i have a friend down there like really imagining it so your brain your body can still have the um the different sensations the the the, the change of pace the um like opening or to the to the curiosity. Yeah, like the anticipation. That's a part of again when we talk about eroticism, we can see that mirrored in the sexual experience. Part of it is just the anticipation of like, ooh, I'm gonna sleep with this person. I wonder what's gonna be like. And it like that's part mm -hmm. of the fun. And so you can copy and paste that over to these practices of like just building anticipation with yourself. I'm also a fan of tiered experiences or tiered sabbaticals or tiered vacations. Mm -hmm. There's no way you're piecing out for a week to go do X, Y, and Z. Can you take a day? Yeah. I guarantee there is some place within an hour drive of you that is interesting or just different sensation. I, like there's no version of I think anyone listening to this podcast, there's not like there's free stuff everywhere. Mm -hmm. public transport mm -hmm. it doesn't even have to be a full day right so like I have had all levels of financial um availability to me and it's more about the practice of eroticism of romanticism because all this stuff does as well just on a, a neurological level like giving the brain new stimulus and new um, sensory input that is uh, low risk, lets the brain explore, right? The lower the risk, the more safety it is, it lets the brain explore and put pieces of information together um, in one way that when you get back to your real life, brain now has this new, new neural pathways built up for putting information together this way. So you come back problem solving differently and seeing your experiences and your problems differently. And it actually boosts your ability to solve problems and stuff. So it's not like, I won't use the word force. I highly, highly, highly recommend, require my clients to do rest days and play days for this exact reason. Um, it literally changes their problem solving ability. So again, we're talking about eroticism, romanticism, pleasure, adventure as ways of being that add tremendous value to your life. And I think in general, mainstream talks about them as like, you know, because we love to, you know, put capitalism first and all this other stuff second, but like these things are the things that help you make, that help you create, that help you collaborate, that help you live. Yeah. That help you thrive. Yeah. I also noticed, noticed that we have been taking a very, um, singular or individual approach to this conversation as well, which uh, is definitely work that we've had to do. Shout out to us being divorced and going down that road, happily divorced. Yes, ma'am. Um, but this, this stuff doesn't have to be done just in the silo of yourself. It can be with friends, with partners, with business partners, with um, romantic relationships with like, you can expand upon this eroticism, this joy, this pleasure, this adventure in all aspects of your life with all people. But I think we definitely wanted to convey that it starts with you. Yeah. It starts with your own personal practice and your own exploration. And, um, 
it can extend past that. So don't feel like you're in this alone because you're not. And let's, I mean, let's like talk about that for a second, because I think, you know, we have both been, we've both been divorced. We've both had, you know, very significant relationships, but I've come to recognize that this practiced eroticism, romanticism, these pleasure practices are, are really important to me. Mm -hmm. The, the, um, characteristics or the the character traits of adventure and eroticism, which I didn't have vocabulary for before, are actually deeply important to me. And so as I am, you know, reviewing past relationships and thinking about maybe future relationships, that's something I'm looking for in someone is like, do they have their own sense of pleasure? Are they able to generate pleasure and generate eroticism and generate a sense of adventure on their own Mm -hmm. that we're bringing to the relationship together? Because I think that deeply impacts the quality of the relationship, right? We're not both looking at the relationship to provide that for us. We both are people that can provide those things and then decide to do it together, which, you know, grows all of that. But that's the thing that I didn't have vocabulary before now for. Yeah. And I think the other side to that coin is the, um, do I have the ability to express myself and my pleasure Mm -hmm. and the ways I want it in this relationship? Because like, yes, it is an individual job, but you can also be around people who make that job easier. Yes. And like, um, with people who I've talked to, like since my divorce, it has been something that I've placed top of mind and just like my freedom in like fully expressing myself and what I want and how I want things and, and what I look for and then the adventure and like, oh, let's just play a game. Like, yeah. It, it just opens you up so much more, especially when you have this, like you said, the, the verb, the verbiage, the vernacular to explain it uh, for yourself, to understand it for yourself so that you, you're not seeking that understanding from other people because you already have it within yourself. And it's just other people help you uh, expand upon. Yeah. And I think it adds, as we talk about, as this relates to not an anecdote, but a, but a counterpoint to decay. When we talk about um, romantic relationships that, that are decaying or business relationships that are decaying or friendships that are decaying, like this can be an actual, how do you practice some of these things with this person that you're in this relationship with to revive this relationship? Like Mm -hmm. this absolutely can, I think, be a point of revival in any number of relationships. Honestly, I feel like it even changed my relationship to parenting. Mm -hmm. I am romanticizing this, you know, day trip. Like, again, just for another example, um, multiple summer afternoons, I would like load up my kid and my dog and we've got water, we've got snacks and we're going to listen to an audiobook together and drive to a rest stop. Y'all, we're not talking about like a national park. Some of our rest stops have excellent playgrounds and like little walking paths. Mm-hmm. And that would be our, our adventure, right? So we'd create this, like me and, and my kid are going on this adventure and we're going to listen to an audiobook and our crypto, our dog is really going to love it. And we're going to go. And again, I've spent $0. It's a two hour afternoon outing, but it, that practice for us. So when I say to to Sam, my son, like, oh, hey, do you want to go on an adventure? He's like, yeah. Like, and he starts planning them. Can we do an adventure? Right. So it, it, it Mm -hmm. has invigorated our relationship um, and the culture 
in our family about, you know, fun and, and delight and adventure and curiosity and all of those things where the alternative would be, we're just sitting in this house another afternoon and he's getting irritated with me and I'm getting irritated with him and we're both on screens and yada, yada, like it has reinvigorated that relationship. And like instills that you can seek it out and create it anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's very similarly. I've, I've done that with business. And as you know, entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. It has its ups and downs. And um, like you were talking about earlier, like the main character energy, it's like, I view myself in that, like, okay, this is this is a movie and people are seeing like the beginning when everything just sucks and like uh, nothing makes sense. And like, how is this person ever going to be like the star of the fucking show? Like, um, like name and lights and all things. And I'm like, this is my origin story. And like, <laughs> and like, this, like, these are the things that I have to conquer that I have to um, learn, accomplish. These are like the failures, like this is when the audience cries with me. Um, like, yes. And, and just romanticizing it in, in that way. So it's just like, yeah, I, this sucks and I'm going through it, but I'll, it's like, this is a part of my story. Like it helps you zoom out. So you're mm-hmm. not so inundated in like the current reality of whatever is, is going on right now, but that you see things more holistically and which in an interesting way also brings you back to presence. Yeah. Oh, I love having main and character energy about my work, especially when it sucks is like, okay, but this is just part of that, like montage right before, you know, things break open. Um, that's so well said. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Let's see. Did you have anything else you wanted to bring to this conversation? I might have one more question for you. Um, I don't think so. What's your What's your question? It might spark something in me, but yeah. What is your um? I guess your single piece of advice for how people can spark erotic adventure and pleasure in their own lives. Hmm. I think it's um, two two parts. One, start really, really, really small, right? Like start actioning on it at a at a small micro level, um, and by that I mean, kind of bring it back to when we were kids. Like this sense of self and aliveness and delight and curiosity is like we all had it when we were children. We did. We made stories out of everything. We're making quote unquote pies with mud and dirt and water. And we're like, we, we are so good at feeding ourselves in this way as children. And so I would just take it all the way back to play as children. And so again, a small, simple thing is just, there's, um, my office has two big windows. They're very warm in the summertime, like a ladybug might get caught inside my window. And so just like, sometimes instead of like, oh my God, a bug and smashing it. Uh, I just like watch it. I wonder where she's going. I wonder what she's doing. What is her life like today? And just like vibing with this little ladybug, right? It takes a couple of minutes, costs me nothing, but it just, it's, it sets my brain into that motion of like play and, and visual and, and since changing my sensory uh, input, like all of those things. 
Um, so I think that's that's my advice or input is start small and remember that you you already know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I would just expand upon that, like with do not fear failure, failure or destruction. I think mm-hmm. so often like we try to build something up and it has to be perfect and it has to like last and it and, and it has to be right. And it's no, it doesn't. Like think just thinking about when we played as kids, like imagine how much shit that you built just to tear it down. Yeah. That was the whole function of building these blocks up is so that two minutes from now I can smash them and knock them over. Exactly. Like I, I was on FaceTime with my nephews last night and one of them was building like this Lego type truck thing. Like and he was really proud of it. And the younger one came over like, <laughs> like a dinosaur and was like, <laughs> smashed his whole thing. Here. Like the older one was very upset, but the younger one was like cheering. Like this was what's supposed to happen. Like, Oh, that's so good. <laughs> and my sister there like trying to play mediator. Like you can build it again. It's okay. Like well, all the things, but like you can build it again and it is okay. And it's also okay to just fuck shit up sometimes and like let that part of not getting it right be okay too. Yeah, I love this. Thank you so much for having me on to have this conversation. I love this topic and it's so like, it's just so fun to see where, where it can go. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of your amazing insights. And again, for the people, if they want to follow you, talk to you, all the things, how do they do it? Yes. I am on the internet everywhere at um, one year from now or OYFN.co. So on Instagram, on the face of the book, on LinkedIn, and then I've got the podcast, one year from now podcast, and the website is OYFN.co. Beautiful, beautiful. Any final words? You're amazing. This was so fun. I love you. (laughs) You too. (laughs) Thanks, Amber. Thank you. All right, my friends, we'll talk next week. Have a good one. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Pleasure Priority Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If it's your pleasure, check me out on Instagram at Amber Taylor Coaching and my website, www.ambertaylorcoaching.com for more on increasing your pleasure across all aspects of life. As always, make sure to follow the show and check back each week for a new episode. I'd also love it if you'd leave an honest rating and review. And if you'd share the show with anyone else you think would benefit. Much love. Talk soon, friends.